All right, look, we've all been there. We have all been sitting on the couches, on our phone, iPad, computer, whatever, scrolling through YouTube or TikTok, and before you know it, you are watching the video of a kitten play a piano wearing a birthday hat. We've, we've all seen those dumb videos when you just go down that rabbit hole, and I myself this last week was down that TikTok, YouTube rabbit hole and ran across a video I'd never seen in my life, and probably for good reason, and the video was titled, How to Trap a Monkey. Right? And of course, I didn't know how to trap a monkey, so now I need to know. How do I trap a monkey in case one comes in my backyard? And it was a video that was made in colonial Africa like hundreds of years ago showing how they would trap monkeys to make them then tame pets and sell them around the world. And what they would do is they would get this little jar, almost like a gourd-looking thing with a small opening, and they would drop some fruit inside and tie it to a tree. And then when the monkeys would come along, they would reach into the jar to grab the fruit, grab the nuts, whatever the treat was inside, and then when they went to leave, their balled-up fist couldn't make it out. Now, here was what was crazy. The reason this trapped the monkey is because the monkey refused to let go. No matter what uh, he tried, he couldn't get his fist out. No matter how hard he pulled, it wouldn't come out. But when he was at the point of, okay, here come the guys back to capture the monkey, he just refused to let go of the treat. And I think that blew my mind when I'm watching that video because all this monkey had to do is let go of the treat inside the jar and he's free. But because he refused to let go, the monkey remained trapped. And to me, that was astounding, number one, because who knew that's how you trap a monkey. But number two, because without ever realizing it, I think that's exactly how people live their lives today, trapped by their own possessions. They are so unwilling to let go of those things, the things that they think they want, that they can't find and get a hold of the things they need. And the more I thought about this, man, the church is not immune to this. Followers of Jesus are not immune to this. There are people that fill our churches every single Sunday morning, people who have a genuine love for Jesus in their life who are trapped by their possessions. And so that's why we're starting this series today that we're calling Give It All Away. In this series, we're going to look at the danger of us being possessed by our possessions. We're going to see the treasure that we have in Jesus and then how we can be free to live generously in every area of our life. What we're going to do is we're going to learn how to let go of the things that have us trapped in ways that we may not even fully realize. So maybe that's you. Maybe you're out there and like a monkey, you've got your hand uh, in, a, in a jar and whatever you're refusing to let go of has you trapped and you don't even see it yet. Well, today we're going to begin this series by looking at a famous encounter between Jesus and a rich young ruler who was asked to literally give it all away. And that's really where we got the title of this series from because nowhere is the cost of God's kingdom brought out more clearly than in the story of this guy. He had absolutely everything he ever wanted except eternal life. And but even though he wanted eternal life, even though he wanted to follow Jesus, he realized ultimately that he was unwilling to give it all away so that he could gain that. 
So if you got your Bible, join me this morning in Mark chapter 10. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10, and we're going to read this story. It's actually recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but for our reading, we're going to look at the account in Mark. And that's found in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Let's read it together. It says, As he, that's Jesus, was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I've kept all of these from my youth. And looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come Follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Man, this is a famous story. Even if you haven't been in church in a very long time, you are probably familiar with the story of the rich young ruler. Matter of fact, that's what we call it, the story of the rich young ruler. But what's funny, here in Mark, we don't know that about this guy. We know in Mark chapter 10 that there was this guy who came up to Jesus and asked him a question, and we know that he was rich because he had a great many possessions, but it's Luke's account that tells us that he was a ruler, an official that held some kind of office, and it's Matthew who tells us that he was young. So when we read all these together, we get a picture of just who this guy was. He was a rich, young, government-type official. He had everything that he thought he needed materially. He had position of status and influence, and it appears that he had a good heart right? Because what we just read is that he comes to Jesus, he runs up to him, and he kneels down and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I think this reaction of him running to Jesus, kneeling down, calling him good, I think they were all genuine signs of respect. Jesus doesn't see it as sarcasm. Jesus doesn't see it as insincere. He sees the genuine heart of this young man. And yet, despite all of these good characteristics, despite everything he had going for him, despite even his sincerity, this guy was devastatingly wrong about what it meant to be saved. The question that he asked Jesus was inherently wrong. He asked Jesus, what must I do to be saved? He wanted to know, what is it that he needed to do to be saved? But see, that idea misses the heart of what salvation really is. It misses the heart of the gospel. The gospel is not about what any of us can do to be saved. There's nothing that you or I can do to be saved because in and of ourselves, we are sinners separated from God by that sin and under the full wrath of his judgment. There is nothing you can do in yourself to change that. See, the gospel is not about what any of us can do. It's about what Jesus has done for us in our place. Because it is only by the substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross that you and I can be forgiven of our sins. And now raised from the dead, Jesus is the only one who can make us right with the Father, not because of what we bring to the table, but because of what he did in our place. There's nothing we can do. All we do is trust and believe in what Jesus has done for us. Now, the truth of this is really simple. 
right? There's nothing you can do, no matter how good you try to be, no matter how often you come to church, no matter how much money you give, no matter how many times you pray or read your Bible, there's nothing you can do to earn salvation. All you can do is receive the gift of grace that Jesus offers. That truth is simple, but accepting it isn't always easy. See, this guy had a list of all the good things he had already done, right? When Jesus says, hey, these are what the commandments say. They say, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. This guy looks back and says, Jesus, I've already done all of those things. I've already nailed that. As a matter of fact, I'm not so sure that this young guy coming to Jesus, while he wasn't genuine and sincere in his approach, I don't know what he was really looking for. I'm not sure he was looking for another checklist as much as he was looking for a pat on the back. I think this guy thought he had already done everything he needed to do. But yet Jesus says, hey, you might have done all of that, but you're still missing something. Now, what we know is because of the gospel, he wasn't missing doing something, but he was missing giving it all away so that he could fully trust and follow in Jesus. And so that's why Jesus looks at him and Jesus asks him, this is what makes this story famous, right? Jesus looks at him and he asks him, he says, go sell all that you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. Now, I know you're probably like me. The first time you read this or hear this, you're thinking, wow, this is really harsh. <laughs> like, why would Jesus do that to this guy? Why would Jesus ask this guy to sell all that he has, all that he's accumulated, all his wealth? Why would Jesus ask him to sell it and give it all away? That seems pretty harsh. But here's the thing. We know without a shadow of a doubt, it wasn't harsh. It wasn't mean. It wasn't punishment. See, we are told specifically, Mark makes sure that we are told that when Jesus saw this guy in verse 21, says, looking at him, Jesus loved him, right? So, so why is that so important? Because what we know is after we have trusted in Jesus as our Savior, after we have received the grace offered to us in the gospel, that nothing that comes to us now is a punishment from God, but it is a gift of God ultimately for our good, even if it hurts in the moment. And so when Jesus sees this guy, even though he was not yet a follower, when he sees him, he still loves him. And so when he asked him to sell all of his possessions, it wasn't because he wanted something from him, but because he wanted something for him. He was doing this not because he was mad at him, but because he loved him. See, Jesus saw, Jesus understood that this man had many possessions, but in reality, all these many possessions had him. He was trapped by his possessions, just like the monkey with his hand in a jar. And this guy went away sad, we read in verse 22, because for the first time, I think he realized it. For the first time, he realized just how trapped he was by those things that he had. See, holding on to what he wanted kept him from grasping what he really needed. Now, I know what you're thinking. You have to be thinking the same thing that I'm thinking, the same thing that everybody thinks when you read this passage. Well, what about me? Does Jesus need me to go sell all that I have? Can I be a follower of Jesus if I don't go sell all of my stuff? Do I have to give it all away? 
And honestly, when you really look at this text, the command to sell everything and to give it to the poor is not something that we universally apply to literally every professing Christian. There are other followers of Jesus that he does not ask to give it all away. There are others who he does not ask to get rid of stuff. And that's a pattern in the New Testament. So this idea, sell everything, give to the poor, is not a universal standard. It is uh, a command given to a particular person to meet his particular needs. However, this should not be immediately dismissed either. It shouldn't be ignored. Other people may have to give up other things to follow Jesus. You have to give up something when it comes to following Jesus. Maybe that's a job. Maybe that's a lifestyle. Maybe that's a sinful passion that has taken root in your heart. Maybe it's a relationship that you're in right now. See, the call that Jesus gives to this guy is not a call to live in poverty, but a call to live as a disciple. This is a call to discipleship, and that call to discipleship takes many forms. It looks a little bit different for everybody in their lives, but at its core, discipleship is always costly, and discipleship always involves sacrifice. You don't follow Jesus without it costing you something. You don't follow Jesus without sacrificing something because at the bare minimum to come to Jesus in repentance and faith, you have to give up your pride and self-control in your life. You have to sacrifice your dreams and your desires to follow his will for your life. That's why it involves obedience. It involves keeping the command and following the example of Jesus. But specifically, what this young man here shows us is that it's really hard to receive the gift of salvation when your fist is clenched specifically around money and the things that money can buy. And if you go on reading in Mark chapter 10, we don't have time to read that together today, but Jesus tells his disciples, look, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for the camel to pass through an eye of a needle. And some have said, well, there was a small gate in the city of Jerusalem that was called the eye of a needle, and for camels to get down, they had to kneel to get through. So maybe there's a picture there. I think it's a lot more simple than that. The only way a camel passes through the eye of a needle is by a miracle and the grace of God. And the only way a rich man enters heaven is by a miracle and the grace of God. That's the same way any of us enter the kingdom of heaven, is by a miracle in our hearts and receiving the grace of God. It is hard to follow Jesus when your fist is clenched around the material possessions of this life. Now, I want to be clear. Jesus did not teach that wealth is evil. He did not teach that being poor is better than being rich. He did not teach that only poor people can be saved. He did teach, again, that discipleship is costly and that wealth is often a hindrance to repentance and acceptance of the gospel. Why? Because the wealthy have a hard time realizing their need. They already think that they have it all. See, the truth is that money is a marvelous servant, but a terrible master. That's not unique to me. Somebody said it long before me, but I think it's true today, right? Money is a marvelous servant, but a terrible master. If you possess money, look, be grateful. Use it for God's glory. But if money possesses you, you got to watch out. It's good to have things that money can buy. 
But it's terrible when you lose the things money can't buy. And so often we see that exchange made as men and women pursue success and pursue prosperity and pursue material wealth only to lose their marriage, to lose their family, to sometimes lose their integrity and their very soul. See, the deceitfulness of riches has choked out so much spiritual vitality in the life of would-be followers of Jesus. That this young man in particular, man, look, he was unable to receive the good seed of the gospel because he couldn't let go of those things in life that he wanted. I think that begs the question that has to start out this series we're calling Give It All Away. What are you holding on to in your life that's really keeping you from truly, fully following Jesus? And again, maybe it is money, maybe it's material possessions, but it doesn't have to be. There's other things in your life, such as we said sinful desires, relationships. There are other things in your life that you're holding on to that are keeping you from following Jesus. Maybe it is material possessions, maybe it's not. I think that too often we're just as guilty of holding on to our time and our energy so tightly that we become trapped in a box of unreal expectations that leave us simultaneously overwhelmed and exhausted. Right, That's the generation that we live in now. We, we either uh, swing on the pendulum from wanting to like ring every experience we can out of each moment of life and post it on social media for the world to see and, and have no downtime, or we swing hard on the other side of the pendulum and focus so much on me time and self-care that we become selfish and self-consumed. And what's crazy to me is I see the same people swinging on both sides of that pendulum. At one moment, they're talking about how much they need a break and how much they need rest. And I just need some time for me and self-care. And at the same moment, they're also planning their next trip on their next day off to go and do and to go and have and to go and experience. And what I want you to hear this morning and what I want you to see from this text is this is not the way of a follower of Jesus. This is not who we have been called to be. The life of those who follow Jesus is a life of sacrifice. Materially and financially, yes, absolutely. But also with our free time and spare energy. We are not to use all of that margin that we have in our life, all of those downtimes to pursue our hobbies or just to sit around and think about ourselves. We are to sacrifice those things as well. We are to sacrifice our free time, our finances, our energy, our possessions. We are to sacrifice all of these things joyfully for the good of our neighbor and the glory of our king. We're called to be generous. And when we talk about generosity, I think we think that is limited to finances. And listen, finances are a huge part of that. As a follower of Jesus, you have been called to be generous with your wealth, to be generous with your material possessions, to be generous with all of those things. But more than that, you've called, been called to be generous with yourself, with your free time, with your free moments, with your bandwidth, with your energy. And what you find is when you learn to be generous with these things, when you learn to sacrifice these things, 
through that sacrifice and through that generosity comes true freedom. Freedom from the weight of self and having to care for yourself and having to discover joy for yourself. You find that that comes freely from Jesus. And then freedom from our possessions. Because at the most simple base level of this, I think maybe many of us are seeing our possessions have more hold of us than we have of them. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe what you have really has you. And like the young man, you're going away sad because you see it for the first time. But what I want to tell you today is this. Don't just be sad that you see it because seeing it is part of God's grace. Be grateful that he's allowed you to see how you've become possessed by your possessions, how the things that you have actually have you. Because where we're going to go next week is once you see that, now we want you to see how Jesus is the one thing worth giving away everything for. So once you see where you're at, you can begin to see Jesus for who he is and where he calls you to be. But for today, let me leave you with this. Is holding on to what you want, materially or otherwise, is holding on to what you want, keeping you from what you need. Maybe today you need to let go. You need to give it up, give it all away, and begin to live generously. Let me pray for you. God, thanks for the time that you've given us. God, I pray it's been helpful, and I pray that you have shed light on places in our hearts where we didn't even realize that we were trapped. God, I pray that you would help us to let go of the things in our life that have us trapped. God, that you would help us to live lives of sacrifice as disciples and that we would live generously as your children for the good of our neighbor and the glory of your name. It's in your name, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.